Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised... Press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. Anya, what have we been watching? Well, Kevin, for the past few weeks, we've been watching Only Murders in the Building, which is a 10-episode television miniseries from Hulu starring Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. What is this? It's sort of a parody series poking fun at the true crime genre, including true crime podcasters, such as ourselves, 
Um, and, Wait and, a minute, we're true crime podcasters? <laughs> I thought we are oh. talking about uh, fictional mysteries here. Well, Kevin... What? <laughs> if I got great news for you. If you can't get enough of our content, we also have a, a true crime uh, podcast called The Murder Sheet. Almost forgot the name for a minute, but I recovered. <laughs> yeah, your devotion to our projects is is legendary. <laughs> and uh, and that's all about restaurant homicides. The first season, uh, and it's very different from this. We're not silly at all. We're very boring. But here we're we uh we're there. We're buttoned up. Here we're just letting it all hang loose. So it's all good. Um, now, so this is, it's a it's a mystery kind of comedy series. It's about these three uh, misfits in a fancy building in New York City. Somebody gets murdered in the building, and then they got to figure out who who done it and they have a podcast and they have all these kind of quirky adventures and uh, that's sort of the show. Would you say it's a dramedy? I wouldn't say it's a dramedy really. It, it seems more heavily kind of on the kind of silly parody side. There's some serious moments, right? And it certainly tackles some questions about true crime, but it, I would say it's more on the comedy side. Really? That seems to be where to me it excelled. <laughs> I would agree with you that the comedic moments were the parts I remember, and I think they worked best. But I think when I look back on it, it doesn't really seem like there was a lot of comedy in most of the episodes. The comedy is, like, sprinkled in. It's not, like, a situation where, uh, you know, like, oh, someone slips on a banana peel, or, like, that's the episode. It's, like, the, the comedy is like jokes about the topics kind of sprinkled throughout the series. Some episodes are more heavy on the mystery side of things, and then some episodes seem more with the, you know, joke-centric. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I guess you could make an argument for a dramedy. I just I just tend to think of, of you know, it, it, it's, pl- it, it's sort of like a playing with the mystery genre on a number of levels, I would say. How so? Uh, it's, it, you know, it's kind of the classic setup of, like, you know, all these different people in the building and they've got to like cross suspects off their lists and who had a motive to do this, who had the means, uh, what kind of skeletons can they find in these various uh, walk-in closets in this fancy building? You know, it, it's, it's kind of, you know, they just have to dig into the mystery basically. Um, and they all, the, the main, the main trio, I would say they all have some sort of like, problematic past uh steve martin used to be uh brazos who's a like a you know detective on a detective show that used to be popular but he hasn't really had a lot of work in 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 a long time and he's pretty lonely martin short is this sort of flamboyant theater director who directed some hits but then had a real big flop at some point and his career went nowhere selena gomez is a young woman with sort of a mysterious past seemingly a tragic past turns out spoiler in the first episode she actually knows the murdered man and does not reveal this to her new chums so uh that's kind of her thing and you using the word chums there yeah that, you was, a actually... purpose, that was a purposeful choice as you'll find out yeah i think you one of the things that attracted you about the show was you in particular identified with miss gomez what what the hell does that mean didn't you, because of some of her literary preferences? Why don't you elucidate? <laughs> uh, the character is a huge fan of the Hardy Boys. 
which was uh, a series that was perhaps most popular in the 1930s, many, many, many decades before she was born. So a big deal is made of, isn't it odd? Isn't it peculiar that uh, a woman in her mid to late 20s is reading such old books and hanging out with men older than her? And you said, Kevin, that's me. Kevin, we're going to end up in like fucking couples counseling and they're going to be like, what what brings you here? I'm like, my fucking husband outed me as a huge fucking loser on our podcast that five people listen to. (laughs) 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 This is making me sound like the ultimate dweeb. Um, I grew up reading a lot of Nancy Drew and then at some point I sort of was like, well, Hardy Boys is basically the same thing. Uh, it's from the same publisher, of course, the Stratmeyer Syndicate. And so, yeah, I read a lot of those as a kid. So there was, and I, of course, I, I started watching this series without knowing that they would have a lot of Hardy Boy references. But it's sort of like a touchstone throughout the series where they're playing with some elements of it. They're playing with some of the uh, the stories themselves and the fact that people get into these and then they think they can solve mysteries themselves. So I thought they had a lot of fun with that, and I really enjoyed it because, yeah, in some ways, that's me. And and also, it's, you know, I mean, it's set in New York City. Uh, Long Island's right there, right? And Long Island, Bayport in Long Island is where the Hardy Boys, of course, are set. And it's a real, real place. Uh, unlike Nancy Drew, where River Heights is God knows where, probably somewhere in the Midwest. But, you know. Would you say that Long Island's like a knife sticking out into the ocean? Oh, shut the... <laughs> Don't quote my script from the murder sheet back at me, sir. <laughs> I thought it was a good line. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's so yeah. It it's uh, it has a lot of fun with that. I was delighted by that, right? Because when you're kind of a fan of something that's a little bit, you know, it, it's not that no one ever references it. It's just no one. I've never seen references this in depth in in a mainstream work, you know. So I was like, bravo. <laughs> They're like, oh, we're gonna take it on Shore Road, and I'm like, ha ha, yes. Uh, and of course, the Chums is a reference to the Missing Chums, which I think is the fourth book in the series. Um, but yeah. So to people, the many people out there, many many people out there who've never read Hardy Boys. So what's the appeal of those books? I mean, I think this point, right? I'm like nostalgic, right, for my childhood, and you know. But like I think in in terms of you know being a kid, it's like oh they're kids too. I mean they're teenagers, right? But like they they solve mysteries and like anything can be a mystery. Like you know because the books and same with Nancy uh, Drew. It's like we're just some teens walking around. Da da da. Oh look, somebody's you know running after a guy who stole her purse, or somebody's you know doing suspicious things on an airplane, or so you know we see like like there's always like something some ordinary event that's somehow transformed into a new mystery that you, you know, you know, can solve, right? Because look, these teens are doing it. Get out there and and solve some mysteries, teens. And I think that's very appealing to kids where you're like, yeah, I'm not only just going to like live my life, but I'm going to figure shit out, you know? And like, and the crimes are always not really, not really relevant to the present day, or, or not really relevant to most people's lives. You know, they're they're solving mysteries that are like, like, oh yes, we're using paintings to smuggle in valuable jewels. Like, who's gonna, like what? I mean, if a like an eighteen year old cracked that case, that would be huge news, and it would be very much an anomaly. But 
it makes you feel as a kid, I think, that you can do mysteries as well. So I don't know, maybe this or or for some people watching SVU or for some people watching Columbo or like watching kind of some of these mystery programs or consuming mystery uh, books or whatever, you know, kind of might be a bit of a gateway drug to some true crime stuff as well. Because you're like, now I need the real shit. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of I'm, I'm speaking facetiously, but I think the wanting to figure out something. Now, they're not mysteries in the way that in my, I mean, I, re, I read a lot of the revised Grosset and Dumlet versions. Now I'm really getting into You're the, really getting into the weeds. I know, here. I'm sorry, but let me, let, so it's not like a situation where you can like actually figure it out yourself. You know what I mean? Like they're not those types of mysteries where they're constructed to, I think, have the, it, like, usually it's pretty obvious. That's like, what the kids call a fair play mystery. Right. These are much more like. That's wh- where like a story has all of the clues. So that if the reader is as sharp as the detective in the book, they can figure it out themselves. This and you're saying the Hardy Boys are not like that at all. I would say no. I would say they're more on the kind of like whoever is rude to them or seems suspicious is probably your guy. <laughs> at least that was always my experience reading them. Like, oh, this guy was rude and brusque for no reason. Yeah, he's probably a smuggler. That's the way it works. Uh, so is that true in life? When people are rude to you, is it usually because they're evil masterminds? No. People just have other shit going on. And sometimes what you perceive as rude might just be somebody having a bad day or maybe just being less deferential to you than you prefer. But, you know, I think trying to walk around like you should be treated like a lord or a lady all the time is kind of maybe you're the rude one if, if you're meeting a lot of rude people. Right. So I don't think that's true to life. Sometimes if somebody's just giving you a really bad vibe. You know, you should watch out for them, and then you know maybe that is a helpful tip. But in in this in in these kind of books, it's always just like some loud woman, you know, cuts in front of Nancy at the department store, and everyone's like, "Nancy, that was really rude of her," and she's like, "You know what? No worries." And then later on, it turns that that's the the girlfriend of somebody who you know gets arrested because she's part of some sort of counterfeit gang. You know, like stuff like that happens all the time, and I don't. That's not how life works, <laughs> generally. <laughs> um but anyways yeah they made a lot of use of that they really i feel like this was written by somebody who really loves mysteries and i i appreciated that so i'm curious why do you suppose they made the choice to include all that hardy boys stuff in in there and make it such an integral integral and make it such an integral part of miss gomez's character well, it sort of explains why this young woman who's Selena Gomez, who's very beautiful and like kind of seems mysterious and cool, why is she so invested in this mystery? And they and why is she so invested in this mystery? And they sort of give her two through lines here. One is sort of like you get to know her character by understanding her love of the Hardy Boys and like what kind of person would be so into that and kind of ha- have that knowledge. Um and the answer is a huge nerd. And and the other through line is it also connects her to events in the past uh, of the Arconia where... Uh, What's the Arconia? That's the that's the fancy building. and That all the characters that live in. all the characters live in. It's all said in this one building. And she was part of a group of teens that used to hang out there. They called themselves the Hardy Boys. It was her, uh, another girl, her best friend, and uh, two fellas, one by the name of Oscar... Uh, who was dating the best friend blonde lady whose name escapes me. But the un- the other dude was Tim Kono. 
and he actually is the murder victim in episode one, ends up dead under suspicious circumstances. So what about this series stood out to you, Kevin? Uh, I think individually it was generally entertaining. I, I, I wish there was a little bit more humor. I wish either the series had been shorter or the story had been constructed differently because the way the story was constructed, uh, you could have a situation where there's an intricate mystery and we each week receive a piece of the puzzle and gradually piece it all together. Or you could have a situation where each week we get steered towards one random suspect and we're made to think that person is guilty. And then oh, it turns out they're not guilty. But there was a cliffhanger. Maybe this other person's guilty. And the next week we're steered to think they're guilty. And, ah, nope, it's somebody else entirely. And that's basically what happens every episode until the end, where just because there's no more episodes left, uh, it's this 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 person's the guilty party. It has not no real connection to anything that happened earlier. It's just out there on its own. Uh, the mystery involving this person and why this person was the killer could have been told in like two episodes. Yeah. So that makes a lot of it seem filler. And I think the elements of it involving the mystery were not very interesting. The elements involving the comedy, I think, were interesting. Or they were they were funny. Yeah, they were funny. We laughed a lot watching this. But not as much as we could have. Yes. I, I wish it was it was a little bit funnier. I wish it was shorter. I feel like it would have really benefited from being like a five episode thing. Like cut it in half, you know, slice and dice. Maybe six if we're being generous. Because I, like you, felt like at a certain point it sort of had run out of steam in terms of story and plot. And I, I would I would liken it to, like, a bridge is unveiled and the start of the bridge is this big, grand, triumphant, like, Brooklyn Bridge facade. And you're like, wow, what a bridge. And you keep walking. And it starts getting narrower and narrower and narrower. And it's like almost like they started off too big, used up all their materials, and then kind of, like, narrows as it goes on and then you know it makes it across because for me i'm gonna say i had a positive view of this series and i will be interested in watching season two which did get renewed so it's it's not uh, for me the bridge the bridge connects but it's it's not as consistent as i would like and i think it's because it's just stretched too long um and 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 because okay i'm gonna i get i think we'll spoil who the killer is of tim kono and i i, I think i'll spoil the events and the, the, the kind of the plot points, if that's okay. So the two central mysteries, I would say there are two central mysteries in this series. One is who murdered Mabel, uh, Mabel is Selena Gomez. Who murdered Selena Gomez's old friend, Tim Kono. Okay. He's found shot in the head. He, someone made it look like a suicide, but then it turns out he was being poisoned and that someone likely also killed him. Okay. So that's m murder mystery. Number one, number two also connects to Mabel's past. Her friend, this blonde girl, um, fell off the roof of the Arconia building one, one New Year's Eve. And, you know, was she pushed? Now, police arrested Oscar, the, the girl's boyfriend, and he was kind of wrongfully convicted over that. You know, Selena Gomez has always believed he was innocent. And uh, basically, 
it seems like once Tim's death is uncovered, it seems like he was investigating the case too. Maybe that's why he was killed. So those are the two central questions. You know, what happened? Who killed, you know, who killed both of them? What, like, what exactly went, went down here? Now, what, what, when I was really revved up in this series, it was when basically the, the central trio is working together and they're working on uncovering both of those questions. That's to me when I was most hooked, where I was like, all right, here we fucking go. It's the true crime squad. Let's do it. Let's solve these cases. But eventually, you actually, you find out the answer to one of them in like episode seven. And that is that basically it was an accident. The, the, the falling off the building thing was an accident. Her death is unrelated to Tim Kono's. And to me, that kind of took the air out of my sails. I'm not going to lie, because I love it when it, it, I love a conspiracy. Maybe that's not realistic. But to me, when they're both being built up as like these central questions of the show, and then one is kind of answered in what is not terribly interesting a manner of like, yeah, she was getting into an argument with this guy and, you know, she kind of just fell back because she was drunk. And it's like, all right, like, I don't know. I mean, like, keep it going. Keep the ball in the air, you know, and then have a big grand finale. But kind of separating those questions kind of popped the balloon a little bit for me, I think. Uh, one, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, I, I would say one thing that kind of popped the balloon for me was because Selena Gomez's character's past is tied into one of the mysteries Okay, let's explore her past a little bit. I didn't feel it was so crucial to explore the past of the Steve Martin or the Martin Short characters, nor did I find their past all that interesting. So there was like screen time taken up. Oh, you know, here is some information about Martin Short's character's troubled relationship with his son. He wasn't a great father. He and his son don't really have a great relationship now. Let's explore that. I didn't really find that the least bit interesting. I didn't either, and I guess I would have preferred it, you know, as I mentioned, both central, both mysteries seem to be tied to Selena Gomez's past. Maybe maybe one, either Martin Short or Steve Martin, could be connected to one of them in some way that becomes apparent over the course of the series. And it's like, Selena's not the only one with secrets, right? Uh that maybe would have been my preference over having both of their past be totally kind of incidental and just be kind of like, yeah, because like basically the, the joke is almost the same. They're both kind of washed up guys, right? <laughs> like, yeah. And Steve Martin's character is lonely and isolated and has had trouble with women in the past. That's not really interesting either. And also you can, we've kind seen of, that before. And you can speak to the theme of isolation by having him continue to connect with these people. And I think it can be a little bit understated, but the audience will be, un will understand it. And they really want us to love these three people together. They really want us to think, Oh my gum, by gosh, by golly. These three bring out great qualities in each other. They're all coming alive. And they have characters say that to each other all over the place. How wonderful these characters are together. How great it is they're working together. God love them. And it's like, don't tell us that. Let us figure that out for ourselves. Yeah, I I, I enjoyed the, the dynamic of the trio, I think. But I would almost feel self-conscious about that because everyone was like fist bumping it in the show. And it's like, like in real life, if you were meeting some people 
and you know, wouldn't it be much like, oh wow, they have a really nice dynamic, right? Like if if you if you listen to this show for some reason, maybe you think Kevin and I have a nice dynamic, right? Like you know, I'm kind of yelling a lot and talking, and Kevin's I can barely get a word in yeah, edgewise. Kev, Kevin's stifled, stewing. You can hear. I'm sitting it. here with my arms crossed, my legs the, crossed. You can hear just the just staring daggers at her. You can hear the silent rage on the microphone, just sizzling. But you know, it crackles. <laughs> But maybe, we have a very unhealthy relationship. But maybe if we were always talking about that and how great we were and how much fun you were having listening to the show, you know, maybe you'd be a little bit off put and be like, okay, like I get it, like <laughs> simmer down. So it's like I, I think maybe at points the show is a little bit too self aware for its own good in that sense of like just, just let the magic happen, like like just, just let it be fun. You don't have to self reference so much because. That almost is a like to me a sign of like writing insecurity, you know, or like you know like oh if I put this out in the universe it'll make it so. But like I think sometimes subtlety is a little bit better. And and I think part of it uh, along those lines they made them they have such a great relationship, and by gum they did a podcast and they solved a murder, and it's like earlier in the series they're kind of like making fun of true crime podcasts and making fun of the characters aspirations and kind of satirizing true crime podcasts which is fine but then if the vehicles for our satire then become wildly successful because any true crime podcast who actually solves a murder that's amazing that's what everybody aspires no one's done that basically so they're are, th- are we supposed to be making fun of podcasters and true crime podcasts? Are we supposed to be celebrating it? I don't know. You know what? True crime podcasters should be saluted. We should get a fucking ticker tape parade in Manhattan. Well, you were telling me the other day that you think true crime podcasters are princes among men. Princes among men. <laughs> <laughs> um. It, it, so, I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I could live with that. I, 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 no, I, I think the satire of true crime podcasts and podcasters might be funnier if these guys weren't such great detectives and figured everything out. I would have enjoyed it more. Okay, so the the moments I loved, and I, I'd be curious to know what you thought. The moments I loved is when everyone in the central trio is working together to solve a mystery, but they're not getting like a lot of credit or accolade. Like 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 they're like like things are going wrong for them, but they're onto something and they just can't like stop. Like that to me was the moments of joy uh, that I most kind of focused on in, in the watching. And there were, you know, there were quite a bit of that. I felt like they kind of started separating them a little bit more, like as the series went on and it'd be like, you know, uh, Selena Gomez and Martin Short and then Steve Martin's doing a different thing. Like they'll be like pairing them off almost. And that's like, I like it when they're all just like working together. I don't know. Like I, I hate that when shows like establish a good team but then they kind of start splitting them off and everyone's kind of doing a different thing, you know? So it's like in The Force Awakens when you never saw Han, Leah, and Luke get together. Uh, which one's The Force Awakens? That was the first of the sequel trilogy. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know. You want to see the old team get together. Yeah, where's the squad? And so uh, I... I don't, I don't mind them being successful true crime podcasters eventually, but I, yeah, I, I agree. It's hard to parody something where you're like, well, if, if anyone, if any idiot could do this, then why doesn't everyone start a true crime podcast? We, we'd have a 99% murder solve rate throughout the country. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the jokes early on seems to be how hapless they are. 
they're not very successful. They don't really know what they're doing. And then a few weeks later, they solve a major crime. I mean, like, I felt some of those jokes about being hapless and getting excited over, like, having 12 listeners. That felt, like, personal. <laughs> Personally <laughs> directed at me and you. <laughs> That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Um... Yeah, so, I mean, I think what we're ta- kind of harping on are sort of, like, some structural issues with the series and maybe maybe some tonal issues, too. What did we like? I thought the earlier episodes that had a little bit more humor in them, I think, were good. I thought the best episode was the first episode, which I believe was the only episode co-written by Steve Martin. I thought that episode had a little bit more wit and humor to it than the later episodes did. Yeah, i i thought I thought the first couple of episodes, uh, the first few, you know, were very strong, and and to me, sort of lost momentum when it did a silent episode, episode seven. Uh, I think it was episode seven or six. Who knows? I don't know. Uh, they and I appreciated the effort in trying to do something different, but to me. It, it it wasn't very funny, and uh, because it wrapped up one of the central mysteries of the show, i.e. who pushed that girl off a roof, it sort of lost me, you know? And, and it turns out, you know, the big twist is, oh, the sponsor of the podcast, his son pushed this girl off a roof. They're also into some crimes and stuff. And, you know, I don't know. I, I, I enjoy, like, the podcast sponsor being the bad guy just out of <laughs> the humor of that, like... I mean, like, and of course, you, that doesn't apply at all to any of our sponsors. No, no, they're no. princes among men. None of them do any sort of like grave robbing or anything pushing girls off of roofs at all. Uh, but you know, I, I mean, but wouldn't that be great if like Bombas socks or something turned out to be doing that? <laughs> <laughs> She's laughing at the absurdity of such a notion because oh, those socks are so wonderful. Casper, those are the big Casper and Bombas socks, are the podcast ad icons, right? And maybe you know, maybe they've been up to some shit. That would amuse me. Uh, but like, yeah, I, I think at that point, I kind of was like, eh. I just, I don't know, razzle dazzle <laughs> me if you're, if you, like, because to me, it stayed funny throughout. They'd have lines that were funny throughout, but the real kind of core of the humor seemed to be more the early episodes because that was when they were allowed to be inept and allowed to just kind of like wallow a bit in how much they suck at podcasting and mystery solving. And to me, when they got more legitimacy, at one point, like, a detective starts helping them, like a real-life detective, and it's like, no detective would help them. 
And they have like fans camped out in front of their building who are devoted to them. All of that seemed very unrealistic. I mean, not to say that we don't have thousands of fans at any moment trying to get our autograph or follow us out, you know, as we're taking out well, the trash. We, we do have a couple of homeless people out front. <laughs> <laughs> we're not in Brooklyn anymore, baby. No, we like, I, like, I, I appreciated that they were sort of parodying it, and, and maybe in plot wise, maybe they needed the detectives' help. But to me, once they stopped being such underdogs. It, it became a little bit less funny. And that's another thing. I, I, was, I said that I thought Martin Short's backstory wasn't very interesting. I thought C. Martin's backstory wasn't interesting. We also get the backstory of the detective who helps them. And we learn all about her relationship with her partner and the troubles and stuff they have in their lives, none of which is really relevant or interesting. We also get the the whole story of the... Uh, the so basically, turns out the... The guy who pushed or kind of he didn't really push her. He just was there while she fell off, really. Uh, the girl off the roof. He is deaf. He's a deaf person. He's the son of the guy who is the sponsor to the podcast. And and we kind of get his whole backstory. And it was like, again, I appreciate what they were doing. And it's I think I'm sure it's good to have, you know, a deaf actor doing, you know, representation for deaf people on a you know major program. To me, I just thought. I don't know. It's like maybe that belongs in a different series or something. Speaking of things that belong in a different series, perhaps, what did you think of Martin Short's performance? To me, that seemed to be really over-the-top comic relief. It didn't feel like it really fit the mood of like the Steve Martin performance and Selena Gomez performance, both of which seemed to me to be more grounded. What do you think? I, I didn't really care. I mean, the, I didn't mind that because... I found him funny, but at the same time, I think the problem with that was that they tried to kind of give him a tragic backstory too. And maybe he could just be Martin Short being silly, Martin Short, funny stuff. Like maybe he doesn't need it. Maybe he doesn't have a tragic backstory. He's all right. And he's just who he is and is going to show up and, and do silly antics. I, I think the problem was that they tried to, they tried to ground him, but the that, that doesn't match up with what we're seeing from the character. And maybe they, if they just kind of didn't, do that uh it could just be sort of a buoyant kind of wacky zany character one thing i liked about this and i i, I don't know if you felt the same way but i love just the general like autumnal new york city vibes that this series seemed to capture i really dug that okay how so how, how did that manifest itself just the Kind of the, the way everything was shot and the setting and like the kind of everyone's wearing coats everyone's bundled up it's getting cold outside you know the spooky kind of fun music in the opening with that great animation that they had to open up every episode it just put me in like a nice kind of nostalgic for new york mindset that i really enjoyed having and you know it just kind of seems like Halloween time in New York City, the show. And I, 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 I like that. You, you know, whatever issues I had with the plot, I that alone could kind of get me in a pretty good mood from watching this, I guess. Yeah, New York was very much a character in the show. So that begs the question, how would only murders in the building be different if it happened in Indianapolis? <laughs> Jesus. Well, it would be really spread out uh, across a very... Uh, very anal and uh, controlling 
homeowners association most likely i mean i I don't see it happening in a big you know indianapolis is like synonymous with urban sprawl so it'd be like technically in indianapolis but it would kind of look like the suburbs and it would be some sort of homeowners association gone wrong where maybe a couple people get murdered in that and everyone's looking around and somebody's going around making sure that nobody has like crazy halloween decorations or everyone's grass is cut to a certain extent that's i think the indie version and I think if, if the podcasters were Indianapolis podcasters, uh, instead of doing an investigation, they would just copy the investigation someone else does. Yeah, maybe they like cozy up to the police or something and uh, get handed some files and cause a whole legal <laughs> stew to bring up, to bubble over. Gosh, I wonder what we're talking oh, about. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Lots of plagiarism. The real crime would be plag- only plagiarists in the building. <laughs> um, no, I, I I definitely enjoyed that and uh, enjoyed like the kind of the, the the kind of world building of the Arconia. Like it's not a real building in New York, and I think they shot different stuff at different places. But I like the idea of this like exclusive kind of. Once great building where, you know, some people are in there because it's rent controlled. Some people are just, you know, are newcomers and like, uh, like Sting lives there. And like, it's like it has, it seems to have like a little bit of the lore of its own that I enjoyed. Yeah, it was kind of fun. Early on, they had like celebrity cameos like Sting. They had uh, uh, Tina Fey. Tina Fey shows up. Yeah, they had a few people in, which was which was fun to see. I'm pretty sure Tina Fey is supposed to be Sarah Koenig from Serial. Yeah, that was that, I agree with that. I mean, I guess I, I I read I read I read a piece from the author Brandon Taylor. What recently he was talking about how like a lot of, a lot of, what we like about TV, or TV show is less about oh this was really tight writing or oh this was really snappy dialogue and it's like vibes. It's all vibes. And I, I vibe with this show. So, I mean, I can understand why it's not for everyone, but I, I, I think that a lot of people kind of enjoy this kind of silly kind of mystery thing. And I thought it was quite funny. When it was doing humor, when it was putting humor at, at the forefront, it was, it was very funny. When it sort of developed more into like, okay, we got to put this plot in, it was less so, but it still had lines that made me laugh. So um, I, I, like, I like a good mystery comedy swirl what are some other like mystery comedies that you felt worked well other than like the thin man i was about to say that (laughs) (laughs) also good vibes also new york uh i mean in one of them at least in the couple the couple in that don't really have a tragic backstory they were just they just they're just having fun they just solve crimes they don't give a shit (laughs) uh Season one ended with a cliffhanger. What do you think about that kind of storytelling? I don't know. Maybe I'm a wuss. Sometimes I'm like, can't people just end it happily? So how does it end? Give us the whole spoiler. Uh, the bad, the killer's been arrested. They're celebrated. Who is the killer? Who killed Tim Kono? Have we said that? Do we want to say that? We haven't said it, but I, we should say it. We're going to spoil it. We always spoil everything on these shows. Why stop now? Uh, the killer is Amy Ryan. So Amy Ryan has been uh, arrested. 
uh, our trio is being celebrated. They're toasting each other, talking about how wonderful they are on top of the roof of their building. Selena Gomez goes downstairs to get more champagne from her apartment, at which point Steve Martin and Martin Short both receive text messages telling them to get out of the building. They hear the sound of approaching sirens. They run down to get their friend Selena, get her out of the building, and they find her over the body of a dead woman who has been stabbed with one of Selena's uh, knitting needles. And the dead woman is uh, someone in the building who has been an enemy of theirs. And as the season ends, the three of them are being hauled away, arrested for murder. And it looks like Tina Fey is going to be doing a podcast about their murder case next season. Pray tell why did uh, why did Amy Ryan, the beloved wire and office actress, kill Tim Kono? Because uh, she's crazy and he broke up with her. Yeah. It's, it, that, I thought that was kind of a weak motive. Like when you're building it up all season, you kind of want something a little bit more than like. The, wo- the woman was crazy. She was mean. She didn't like when boys broke up with her. Okay, I mean, come on. So, I I just like with all the, like we've had this kind of you know journey with these three characters, and you kind of like are like enjoying seeing them solve a mystery, and then they kind of blows up in their faces and they get arrested. I thought that was a bit sad. Maybe I'm a wuss, but I, I just, I liked it when, I like it when people are happy. So I was kind of like, oh, just let them, let them, let them alone. I didn't like them being arrested. That made me, that made me blue. So I get that they're trying to drag it out to another season, but I think there's ways to do a cliffhanger that kind of keep it more open-ended or it's, you know, it's, it's less dire <laughs> than getting arrested for murder. I don't know. Sometimes it seems like cliffhangers show a lack of confidence on the part of the storyteller that I don't think the story I'm telling is interesting enough. I don't think the characters I've created are interesting enough for people to come back unless I uh, Jerry rig some sort of a crisis. Yeah. Why make it be a crisis? Why not? Maybe like, maybe like it just zooms in on something that makes you wonder, did they solve the entire mystery? You know, like, and, 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 but they're like, but they're okay. And they're not in jail. Like that's a pretty well, maybe di- maybe just in the story, and then maybe next season. Well, here's another story about them. Right. Uh, if you read like a Sherlock Holmes novel, they don't end in exciting cliffhangers. Oh my God! Sherlock Holmes is bound and gagged and be- being hung over a burning fire. Can Watson get there in time? Better buy the next book. They don't do that. They uh, Conan Doyle assumed that the character he created was interesting <laughs> enough. That, oh, he solved this mystery. Me, I as the reader, would enjoy seeing this character encounter another mystery. Reichenbach falls. Yeah. What about it? The final problem. I guess it's not really a cliffhanger. It's more of like, please let my character die so I don't want to yeah. keep doing this so I can write historical fiction. <laughs> please! <laughs> yeah, he got tired of writing Sherlock Holmes, so he killed him. Yeah. You know, it, it turns into a, I mean, like, when you think about it, it's a pretty good cliffhanger. Kind of incited everybody and made them be like, please put him back. But it wasn't intended to be a cliffhanger. It was intended to be the end of the series. Yeah, but, like, what a kind of, like, he could have just, like, okay, here's my latest Sherlock Holmes story. Oh, he died off screen. <laughs> like, by, by, by killing him, he almost f- fueled a furor over that that people demanded more, you know? So you're saying that Conan Doyle 
had it all in mind. He was yeah. conspiring. It was all a master it was, plan. It was a market. Like the guys from Mad Men came in. He's like, how do I sell more of these Strand magazines, guys? I want to get paid more. They're like, you know what you do? You kill Sherlock Holmes by having him fall off a waterfall. Nobody sees the body. And then you have you have so little enthusiasm for this character. Yeah. Like 10 years later, when your enthusiasm is even lower, revive him in a really convoluted way that convinces no one, and then write a series of really bad, mediocre stories about the character. <laughs> that pale in comparison to anything that went before. Yeah! What a plan! What a plan! <laughs> gotta, gotta get that demand up. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 tend, to, I, I never... tend to look down on cliffhangers in general. Because we've never done a cliffhanger at the end of one of our episodes. Should we? And the thing about the being held over the fire thing sounds like something, you know, I could do for you. <laughs> so you're suggesting that at the end of this episode, I be bound hand and foot and held over a fire. Yeah. I mean, you threw it out there. It's obviously on your mind. What are you talking about? No kink shaming. <laughs> Your parents listen to this no, podcast. No. 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 <laughs> um. <laughs> Things have gone off the rails. Uh, yeah, I, I tend to, I tend to kind of think cliffhangers are overrated. I mean, listen, I, like I'm sure you could name a couple of really great cliffhangers that worked. I think you could very easily finish this story and then have a new murder happen in season two and they solve that. So it, it's, it's not to, it's not to say that you can't continue, but you don't need a cliffhanger to continue. It's an, it's just an artifice. You blame who shot Jr. Yeah. I blame everything on that. <laughs> <laughs> everything, everything that goes wrong in my life. I'm like, Dallas, <laughs> fucking Dallas, 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 baby. Forget it, Jake. It's Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a cliffhanger? Did you like the Who Shot JR cliffhanger? Uh, at the time, I was a very uh, young man. Time, at, that, at, a t at that time, a billion years ago, back when that was fresh. I was hooked on it. I remember the country. It really, it was enormously successful because it was the talk of the country. Uh, the radio disc jockey Gary Burbank recorded a novelty song called Who Shot JR? Swept the country. Uh, ratings of Dallas shot up, and I think that taught a lot of people the wrong lesson about cliffhangers. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's sort of like, I mean, because I think like, I can name two shows that maybe would, you know, I mean, one, one book series and one show that would employ cliffhangers once in a while. One's Lost. Okay. I have my own feelings about Lost. I actually kind of like the ending, but I respect everybody who hated it. And 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 then the other one is the the uh, Song of Ice and Fire often ends its chapters, its perspective chapters, uh, on a cliffhanger. So you 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 skip to the next chapter, which is a new POV, but you don't know like you won't know for another book what happened to that person that you just left. And at the time when reading and watching those two properties i i found those effective and interesting i'm like oh i wonder what happened to them how'd they get out of this fix but you know i think 
honestly, those two properties also, you know, the TV show version of, you know, Game of Thrones and then, of course, Lost sort of made me like, you know, tr tricks like twists, plot twists and cliffhangers, you know, they're only so good as the story around them. And if your story is kind of weak, then they become less like party tricks and more like annoyances and kind of like feeling cheated. And maybe the story should just be maybe a maybe a well-told maybe there's something to be said for a well-told straightforward story that doesn't rely on cheap conjurings you know to, to make it all work <laughs> star trek the next generation picard is kidnapped by the borg who are the enemies he's taken aboard the borg ship and he's been transformed into a borg himself his person he's mentoring Riker, remains on the enterprise and he's told Cards over there, and we need to destroy that ship. We have a small window of time to destroy that ship, even though it will kill Picard. What do we do? Riker says, fire. Boom, season ends. That's a good cliffhanger. That was a good cliffhanger. Because it's also, it's taken us, and, and you know why? Because it kind of fulfills, you know, for Riker at least, the character development of, like, he's been mentored by, by Picard this whole time. What's he going to do? Like, he knows what's right. He knows what maybe he wants to do in his heart, which is save his mentor. But, like, he knows that the right thing to do is fire. So, like, to me, that's, that, that's, that seems like a well-used cliffhanger. It's sort of putting him to the test. And then it's leaving the outcome of that test, un you know, that's for next time. One thing that kind of turned me against cliffhangers is uh, in the 80s, there was a comic book series called the DC Challenge, where each issue of the comic book was written by a different writer. And the writer would try to come up with some really dumb or really extreme cliffhanger for the next writer to figure out. And so that just made cliffhangers seem to me like some sort of party trick, some sort yeah. of just game. And it just robbed it of fun and pleasure yeah it, it's sort of like and like oftentimes the the solution to a cliffhanger is not going to be that interesting no it almost never is yeah the conclusions are never as fun as you know in act two of a story the characters get into a big mess a big disaster and that's always interesting to see how do the characters react to this the resolution of that disaster is much less interesting. Generally. Yeah, generally. Empire Strikes Back, much better film than Return of the Jedi. Oh, yeah. And I'm making a lot of science fiction references. Because you're a fucking nerd. See? I'm a, I'm a Hardy Boys nerd. I'm a Stratmire Syndicate nerd. You're a Star Wars nerd. So when we go to couples counseling, <laughs> see the callback here. I'll have some complaints to make, too. Oh, and what are you... Is it the fire thing? Because you asked me to do that. <laughs> to tie me up hand and foot and suspend me over a fire. Yeah. <laughs> You're a sick can't, woman, Kate. Can't blame me for your bad communication. Your ineffective communication skills. That's what I'll tell the therapist. And the judge. Oh! <laughs> I'll just get I'll just get you I'll 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 lure you into like talking about Superman plot details on the stand 
and and that'll be a trick because then the judge will be like rule against you because he'll be like ah, he drive me nuts too. <laughs> uh, but uh, but no, I mean I I I am leaving this series with a positive impression of it. To me, we complained a lot about it in this episode, but we complain about everything. We bitch about everything. We're just fucking, we're very unpleasant people. We're uh, we're privileged assholes who just want to pick apart everything we see because we're just. We have nothing better to do, basically. Than to tear apart the accomplishments of other people. Yeah. We can't make anything ourselves, so we sit here on our asses saying, oh, well, I don't know about the plot about, like, what the fuck do I know? <laughs> I'm just some asshole on a podcast. It sounds like you're in such a state of existential despair over our place in the world that maybe you'll never do another podcast. Maybe this is the end of everything. Tune in next week. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Oh, no. Here's some police sirens. I think I'm getting arrested. <laughs> What's this? You're stirring a fire? Oh, no. Everything's happening, folks. Tune in next week. Same. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, I, I, I overall thought this was solid. Overall enjoyed it. If you like mysteries and you like Steve Martin or Selena Gomez or Martin Short, what if you like Amy Ryan? Yeah, do it. Yeah, get in there. What if you like Sting? Yeah, definitely. You'll love. I mean, Sting fans will go nuts. What if you like Tina Fey? I think you'd enjoy the cameo then. So there's a lot to like here, and and you should check it out. I think. Is surely you come up with a, a pithier five star final? Oh than that. yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna need to think about that. I'd say that only murders in the building is like an imperfect podcast with maybe a few moments of flub line reads or mic feedback. But it's got so much, by the way, of good stuff that I'm still hitting that subscribe button and leaving a positive review. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore to underscore me underscore and at Mystery to Me Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T-O. Thanks, Thanks so, so much, much for, for listening. listening.